This is a podcast from Minute Media. Welcome, everybody, back to the Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast. This week, we are going track by track through Toto 4. Shirley fans, if you can leave us a five-star review and use the words Kilimanjaro or Serengeti in your review, you will be entered into a competition to win a custom-engraved cup featuring your name and Surely You Can't Be Serious podcast that we will send to you for free. So be sure, five-star review, write in Kilimanjaro or Serengeti, and we are going to be entered into that contest. That's right. We're also going to give you a freaking cool shout-out on the <laughs> yeah, show, too. definitely, because <laughs> anybody who can work those words into a review deserves a shout-out. That's right. Okay, so that brings us to Toto 4. We're yeah. going to kind of jump in. If you guys missed the history of Toto leading up to Toto 4, check us out what we did last week. We brought you right to this point. We covered some of the cool stories behind the band, how they got together, hold the line, all the stuff that got us to this point. This album D came out April 8, 1982. It is turning 40 years old in April. Wow, that is nuts. So, can you think of the time in like 1983 where you've gone over to Hastings Music or whatever and you're flipping through the album covers and all of a sudden you see this red sword with rings around it? And yeah. Say, what is this? Oh, yeah, man. There was a Peaches Records and Tapes <laughs> in Tulsa, Oklahoma. That was my uh-huh. go-to spot. Right. And, yeah, flipping through the albums. Thriller was my first cassette tape. Yeah. So, I think I had this on record. Yeah, I think I had the LP on this one as well. So the art on the front, it's a sword, double-edged sword mm-hmm. with four rings, right? Yes. So their first album, Toto, also had that double-edged sword. Album art was by a guy named Philip Garris, who had done a lot of the Grateful Dead album covers. It's supposed to be the sword of Damocles, you know, that holding above his head. Anyway, I don't need to get into all of that. Anyway... <laughs> It's a throwback to that. Just like they're going back to their old style of recording and polished music, they're going back to that first album idea of the double-edged sword, only this time they've got four rings because it's their fourth album, and each of the rings is a little more worn, a little more rough, and it's time to say, all right, here it is, guys. This is one ring to rule them all. Nice. So we talked before about how the record company came to them and said, listen, guys, you had one really good album, you had two stinkers, this has got a hit or we're dropping you. Mm -hmm. So we need you guys to concentrate on making something we can freaking play on the radio. Let's go. And here is their response. Toto 4, released in 1982, had some of the biggest songs of the 1980s. And what's interesting, it's what's going on after this, right? As the album has come out, Bobby Kimball is facing charges for dealing drugs. Right. Like he's looking at potentially going to prison. The guys hold off on their tour for this album because they've been asked by Michael Jackson to perform on the Thriller album. 
It's fascinating. And all of a sudden, these songs start to be released, and they're huge successes, and some of them at a complete shock to the band. And they're also competing with themselves on the chart. Right, because Thriller also came out 1982, November of that year. And so just a few months... Thriller's a freaking tsunami. Yeah, I mean, biggest album of all time, arguably, right? Yeah. Yeah. But these guys performed on both of them. And one of the songs that we're going to talk about a little bit later on has been downloaded one... Point one billion times. So let me just, let me put that in perspective, okay? Let's say that you had a song that was downloaded a hundred million times. You'd be like, I'm a complete success. Yeah. These guys did that times 11. It's incredible. Downloads didn't even exist at the time this song came out, right? <laughs> I mean, downloading That's didn't, true. didn't happen until the mid-2000s, right? And now it has been downloaded 1.1 billion times. Let's talk about that here in just a little bit. Are we ready to jump in track by track? Let's jump in track by track. We're starting off with what Steve Lukather calls the totoist Toto song of all Toto songs. <laughs> I, I got to jump in immediately. Let me just say this to start off, all right? Okay. So David Page wrote this first song called Rosanna. There's a story behind it. Let's talk about the story real quick. Okay. Steve Picaro is dating, not seriously, but dating yeah. this girl you might have heard of called Rosanna Arquette. Rosanna, Rosanna. Yeah. Who's that girl? <laughs> <laughs> I knew her first from Desperately Seeking Susan, but yeah. she's been in Pulp Fiction. She's been in the whole nine yards. She's been in a million things, and she's gorgeous and a Hollywood movie star. Are you talking about that girl with all the shit in her face? <laughs> no, that's Jody. That's my wife. <laughs> that was not her best look, but she is a very beautiful lady. That right? was not her best look. Yes. Um, okay, so Rosanna Arquette is sort of dating one of the guys. They all are totally enamored of her because she's hot, and so it's some point david page is like hey that's a great name i'm gonna put it as the chorus to this song that i've been working on right right, right. so he writes the song yes now, in writing credits both he and jeff Picaro get writing credits but i think the way david perceives it is jeff was totally involved and these guys are so great about complimenting each other i mean they love on each other hard and they've known each other since they were kids so they didn't screw with each other because they'd know what was going on right yep but he says jeff really was inspirational like he'd throw him a line and it would like balloon up into some other full verse or something like that. But when David has written it, he comes to Jeff and he's like, listen, what I really want on the drums on this one. I mean, he's talking to Jeff. Right. The freaking arguably best drummer of the 80s, right? Yes. And he's like... Jeff, what I want on the drums on this one is kind of a Bo Diddley, you know, Louisiana style drum beat. The dun 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 And Jeff is like, okay, well, what do you think about this? And at the point that David hears these drums, he's like, okay, we'll go with what you've got then. It's fantastic. So our buddy James Buckley hit me up on this about a month ago. He's like, this is the Purdy Shuffle. And I don't know anything about drumming. <laughs> I know nothing about drumming. Right. So when we dive into this, I'm like, oh, okay. So apparently this is a very difficult thing to pull off. Yes. The halftime shuffle groove is a drum pattern that was originally created by Bernard Purdy. And he called it the Purdy shuffle, right? So, but what Jeff Picaro did is he took that and he blended that shuffle with a John Bonham groove that you can hear on Led Zeppelin's Fool in the Rain. 
and then adding in what David Page had done. He's got a backbeat sound like the drum beat, the Louisiana Bo Diddley style drum beat. And so it's a combination of like three different styles of drumming that is absolutely magical, unmistakable. As soon as you hear it, you're ready to start singing Rosanna. <laughs> you ready to date Rosanna Arquette? <laughs> so this song reached number two on the charts, and it stayed there for five weeks. It was bested by two songs okay. at different weeks, right? So mm-hmm. like one moved out, another one moved in, and Rosanna never made it to number one. The ones that were at the top of the chart, that blocked Rosanna from the number one spot. Yeah. Don't You Want Me by The Human League. Oh, well, yeah. It's a huge, huge 80s, 80s song. Yeah. And then maybe the biggest song of 1982... the tiger by survivor oh wow yeah but a huge success nonetheless by the way rosanna was the first song written for this album Mm -hmm. and when they wrote it they're like this is a huge hit right off the bat and lukather said it set the bar for the album everybody had to bring their best stuff because gosh this is our first one out of the gate we're on to something yeah this song is so intricate and so complicated and so full of amazing music and when he starts the verse normal songs you're like you're gonna play three four chords maybe five before you start repeating. So in the verse, the chords go G, F9, E minor seven, G, C, F, E flat, D minor seven. It's like there's eight chords without ever repeating a pattern. What it is, it's really fascinating. What they do kind of in the middle of that first verse, and you can hear it as the music changes, it like modulates the G, F9, and E minor seven match up with the F, E flat, and D minor seven, but it's modulated up. complicated to me okay and then it comes in with some amazing bit this is like a doo-woppy kind of i mean we talked about the louisiana sound and the bo diddley style but then they come in with this doo-woppy you can see the guys standing around the trash can in rocky snapping their fingers and singing the doo-wop song styles all within the first verse and chorus of the song. Toto creates great choruses. They're so hooky yeah. that all the musical stuff is lost on me. I just know how I love how they sing and sound when they hit the chorus. Right. You can tell that there's a different voice almost. You're listening to the guy singing and you're like, oh, whoa, he just jumped up really high. Well, that's because it's two different guys singing, right? Right. Steve 
Kuther is singing the first part, and then Bobby Kimball is coming in and doing that second higher part, and then David Page, Steve, and Bobby are all overdubbing with their backing vocals, which is giving it that barbershop quartet style backs on the chorus, which is just amazingly beautiful. But then you've got you got horns. You've got, okay, so we we mentioned in our last episode, Lenny Castro's on this one, right? He's doing the congos. He is their other drummer, right? Right. Brilliant percussionist, and they involved in all of their albums. But in addition to that, they've got Gary Grant, Jeremy Hay, and Jim Horn on trumpets and saxophones. You know, we talk about double masking. They did that with the horns. So what you get is actually five horns. It's it's, it's so full and it's so rich, amazing. Yeah. And just an incredible song. I could go on and on, but I won't. Okay, before we talk about the video, which is amazing in its own right. Yeah. They have an impromptu jam session at the end of this song where Jeff Picard just kind of kept drumming. Uh-huh. And so Paige jumps in with the, the piano and Luther follows and you have this kind of funky jam session. Yeah. It's kind of fun. Yep. I, I like it. Yeah. It's a total breakdown and it's amazing. Dude, this is a 80s banger right out of the gate. Okay. Now you and I have had long and in-depth conversations about a very interesting and little-known fact about this video. We're ready to go toe-to-toe on this. Let's have it. Okay. Here's the deal. Everyone listening, in the video, (laughs) pause the podcast, go watch the video, come right back. Okay? So in the video, you have this West Side Story type of thing going on. Okay. And you've got this dancer, beautiful woman, Cynthia Rhodes. Yes. She's been in Dirty Dancing and the movie Runaway with Tom Selleck. She was in Staying Alive, Mm -hmm. which Sylvester Stallone saw her in this video and hired her from that. Nice. Which is kind of cool. And she's doing her thing. She's beautiful. She is starting to interact with these other dancers like these rival gangs. Yeah. According to Entertainment Weekly. And IMDb. And IMDb. Yeah. One of the other dancers is Patrick Swayze. Nobody puts baby in a corner. Right. But you're not going for it. I'm not going for it. Even though clearly there's internet corroboration here. There's lots of internet corroboration, and I am disagreeing with the internets. Okay? (laughs) I know how easy it is to throw some rumor out there and have people jump on the bandwagon because what a juicy piece of information it is that the other actor this actor that i say is not really in there it's fascinating i i look at it i'm like yeah that's him clearly it is not him it is a guy who has a similar haircut and a similar eyebrow formation that's about it that's about it there's no way that this guy is patrick swayze all right twitter world and facebook world watch this video where do you come down are you Team Swayze with Jason? Are you anti-Team Swayze with D? I realize that the internet is against me, but if you look at this guy's earlobes, you look at his jawline, you look at his lips, it's not Patrick Swayze. I'm sorry. It is a guy that looks like Patrick Swayze, but it's not him. I was really looking for that gold nugget that was going to solidify that, and I, it's elusive. On it the is elusive. Now, I will say this. The b- most convincing thing that you told me is that Cynthia Rhodes said something about this. She didn't say it super clearly. She didn't say Patrick was in the video with me, 
but she did kind of hint that that was a possibility. She said that she had worked with Patrick Swayze previously in a dancing type of situation. Right. Which could have been this or could have been a hundred thousand other dancing things that are out there. That's true. I, yeah. Okay. So Shirley fans, tell us which one of us is right. Is it Patrick Swayze? Is it not Patrick Swayze? You decide. We hit our buddy James Buckley about this and he was like, hey, it kind of looks like him. I don't know. <laughs> Telling you, earlobes, jawline, lips, nose, all different. <laughs> All right, real quick. Yeah. This song is about Roseanne Arquette vaguely, right? Right. So it's interesting because to hear Steve Picard, the guy who was supposed to be dating her, he was like, you know, every one of us liked it. He wasn't even acting like he was the man. Right. I'm dating Roseanne Arquette, but I'm not the man. But he was he's very humble about it. He's like, I think we all just kind of fell in love with her. She denied it. For years, right? She denied that that the, she was the Rosanna of the Rosanna song until what, like five years ago? Yeah. Well, the funny part is, is that she got tired of everybody coming up to her going, Rosanna, <laughs> and and that would get old, right? Right. <laughs> get sick of that. But yeah, she then has said, that, yeah, it's her. Yeah, and what's interesting is she was also the inspiration for another song. That song is Peter Gabriel's In Your Eyes. All my instincts, they return. The you, you still haven't seen Say Anything. I still haven't seen it, I, but I know that song. I know In Your Eyes. Yeah. But what kind of awesome life have you led that you've been in a movie as a lookalike for Madonna and you have two gigantic hit songs written about you. All right. Are we done with Rosanna? I hate to be done with this song. Before we leave Rosanna, D, this one Record of the Year at the Grammys in 1983. Uh-huh. Of course, Toto 4 won Album of the Year. And just kind of as a side note, I thought this was funny. Toto has seven songs on their first seven albums that has a woman's name. Oh, yeah, that's right. Angela, Lorraine, Eleanor, Rosanna, Carmen, Leah, and Pamela. So I think that you can kind of tell from the lineup of the track listing what songs these guys thought were going to be hits. Because we leave first single and we come to another single that they released called Make Believe. gotta tell you i was not super familiar with this song when we started doing this and when this thing came on i was like i love it i love this song and this was a single i was like six or seven years old at the time this is coming out so this wasn't probably in my radar right at the time but now listening to it now it's great it's got to me it's got kind of a billy vera at this moment feel to it but a little snappier a little more peppy and it's just beautiful but is a throwback to the that kind of 50s style of rock So I was young when this song came out, too. I listened to it for the podcast. I was like, that was buried in my brain somewhere. And I had, I was with my mom at the grocery store in the car or something. Yeah. And it was like discovering like a forgotten treasure. You know? ah, I love it. So I love it when that happens. This is a great song. David Page wrote this one. It reached number 30 on the Hot 100. 
It actually was featured in Grand Theft Auto Vice City Stories <laughs> video game. Wow. Which, that blew me away, right? Yeah, right. Apparently, there's a radio station that plays the song while you're doing whatever you're doing in that video game. So. Okay. How about that? I love it. And I love the whole idea behind it. Like they've broken up. Things are over, but I sure do kind of miss you. <laughs> I'm not we... saying I want to get back, but maybe we can just pretend that we're in love. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a guy, right? It's like a guy song. Oh my gosh. How it's... about tonight? We just kind of forget we broke up. Yeah. Just for tonight. I love it. <laughs> it's fun. It's upbeat. It's romantic. Yeah. Could you see this in an 80s rom-com? Oh, for sure. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Doesn't it fit? Uh, yeah. Like your hidden memory, this is a new treasure for me. This is like me listening to Pyromania for the first time. I'm like, I'm so glad that I'm listening to this. And, you know, we talked a little earlier this week about that idea of albums and how it doesn't happen anymore. People don't buy albums anymore. Right. And the idea that back in the 80s or 70s or whatever, when you spent your hard-earned $9.99 on an album, if you didn't love it right off the bat... You listened to it again, and you right. kept listening to it until you found a way to make it a part of your life, right? Make those songs mean something to you. They were like an acquired taste, like a fine wine. Sure. That's the great thing I love about doing this podcast with you, is that we get to go back and revisit these things, and I can find those things that maybe I didn't appreciate at the time and really get to enjoy them. Unlike today, where if you don't love the song the first time you hear it, you don't ever have to listen to it again because you didn't spend any money on it. That's you right. listen to it on Spotify or Pandora or whatever, you hit the skip button and you moved on. This is one of those songs that maybe I skipped the first time, but now that I've gone to revisit it, I love it. It's another reason to subscribe to our podcast. <laughs> We're leading you through each song. Yeah, very good, very good. And speaking of that, let us jump into number three, another single off the album, I Won't Hold You Back. Try not to cry during this song. <laughs> I don't want to talk during this song. I just want to let this song keep playing, right? It's gorgeous. It's amazing. And again, it's another one of those ones that I missed. Because, like, okay, maybe Frank here. When I was in the backseat of a car with the girl, the song that was on the radio was Better Roses by Bon Jovi. Okay? <laughs> that this, was your go-to. This was this was the 90s, right? That was I was driving in the 90s, right? My brother is older than I am. Uh-huh. And this song was released. When was the what was the release date on this? March song? of 83. March of 83. So that's three months before he gets his driver's license. Uh-huh. When we started talking about this one, I'm like, hey, by the way, we're gonna talk about Toto and Toto 4 and Duran Duran and we start talking about it and he says this is what he says to me he goes listening to make believe right now very tight but it has that overproduced clinical sound I'm like okay fair enough these guys were definitely very produced and then he says this is a beautiful line all these songs are panty droppers <laughs> <laughs> Just 
And then in parentheses, he says, thinking about Bell Park now, which is the, you know, the local park where you would, if you're going to go make out with a girl and didn't want the cops banging on your window, you go over to Bell Park. And he says, now I'm laughing, thinking about a dude telling a girl, you know, I can't hold you back now. That's good game. Uh, (laughs) This is a beautiful song. I mean... From the time that he said that, every time I'm th- I hear it, I'm thinking, I can just imagine being in the back seat with a with the girl right now. Oh. This reached number one on the adult contemporary chart. Yeah. Which was Toto's first number one yeah. until later on the we, next year. Right. We'll okay. get to that. We'll get to that. We're going to get to that one. I wonder I wonder how many babies were made to this song. <laughs> this a lot. baby making music. A lot. So freaking good. So Steve Lukather wrote this song. This is the first one that he he wrote for this album, right? He wrote and sings. Yeah. Yes. And he's got a great voice. I mean, the man is a master of the guitar, but this is it's beautifully sung song. So he's written this song and they're like, dude, Steve, this is great. We are going to put this on the album. So, so he's got it and he's got no bridge. And they, you know, they call him. They're like, okay, hey, come on over. You know, we're going to do that song today. We just need to put your bridge in there. And he's like, oh, crap. I don't have a bridge. Right. And so he gets there. He gives himself about three minutes at the piano. And he's like, okay, here's the bridge, right? And this is what kind of musical genius he is. The bridge is not easy. I mean, this is complicated chords. And it's what goes on underneath his guitar solo. So you've got these, I mean, listen to the music. beautiful and he totally plays it off like all right guys here it is this is what i need you to do wow like he'd had it the whole time yeah and that that guitar solo just kind of mirrors the tune and this week i sent you a one of those reaction videos oh yeah which you know it's kind of funny because (laughs) you you know these are people like hey i'm listening to this song for the first time check me out and so i sent you once from the j show i want to give her a shout out yeah she plays about 30 seconds of it she pauses it she goes oh lord jesus help me (laughs) Okay. Make it through this song. <laughs> she continues to play, and all she does the rest of the song is cry. It's just, I mean, she's not bawling, but the tears are just flowing. Because if you listen to the song, if you've ever been in love and the love has been unrequited or you've lost it, something happened that ended that, and you, but you still have feelings for this person, this song will tear your heart in half. <laughs> yes, it will. Yes, it will. So beautiful. Couple so, things so beautiful. for you on this one, okay? Yeah. So you know who does the strings on this one? Tell me. James Newton Howard. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. This was one of a couple of songs where they went to London, got the symphony behind it. That's where you get a little extra heart tug with the symphony. Sure. You also have Timothy B. Schmidt, who was the bassist for the Eagles, yep. singing on the chorus. You can hear in clear as day. Yep. Steve Perry of Journey called Steve Lukather and said, I just want you to know, your song got me through a breakup with my girlfriend. Wow. Pretty cool, right? Yeah. I got one more thing for you. This song is so beautiful. How in the world are there nine songs better? Okay? Right. Listen to this murderer's row of nine songs better than this. Okay. March 7th, 1983. Okay. So it tops out at number 10. Wow. Okay? Okay. Number nine, Little Red Corvette. Done. Number eight, Mr. Roboto. Sure. Number seven, She Blinded Me With Science. Yeah. Number six, Overkill. 
Wow. Number five, Dear Commissar. Okay. Yep. Number four, Come on, Eileen. Oh, my gosh. Number three, Let's Dance. Yeah. Number two, Jeopardy. Oh, yeah. And number one, Beat It. Of course. That yeah. is a murderous row of 80s hits right there. It's Yeah, I'd, I'd listen to that on repeat all day long, for sure. By the way, you mentioned James Newton Howard did the orchestral arrangements and was the conductor for this one. Also on this track, another person who did orchestral arrangements, Mr. Marty Page, David's dad. You know, Marty Page used to call David Page. 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 <laughs> the guys in the band thought that was hilarious. Yeah, that's They're great. Like, Isn't your last name Page, too? <laughs> All right, are we done with this one? I hate to be done with this beautiful, beautiful song. It's fantastic. This is going in the... This, this is going in the makeout list of 83. Absolutely, 100%. We need to get on Spotify and create our makeout list. <laughs> we do. David Wright's going to do it for us. He's taking the cue right now. He's already on Spotify. Let's go, Dave. Going. Challenge. <laughs> okay, now we're moving on to a song called Good For You. Another great piano rocker. It's fun. Absolutely. This song, when I heard this song, I immediately thought, I want to be watching an 80s montage of some kind. <laughs> like the montage of the guy, you know, Daniel LaRusso's trying to get the girl. Something <laughs> like that. That's the montage that I need to be. That, that kind of victorious trumpet that's behind it. I Yeah. I could be good for you. You could be good for me, too. Let's make this thing happen. This is a fun song. This one could have been a single, in my opinion. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Especially in the 80s. I mean, yeah, yeah. if if I Have the Tiger is a number one song in this time period, then this absolutely could have been a top ten hit for sure. This song was written by Steve Lukather and Bobby Kimball. Yeah. I think the vocals are great on this one. I watched the video, and David Page is playing two separate keyboards. You know, one hand on one, one hand on the other. And I just, I'm like, wow. It screams the 80s, right? <laughs> so Roger Lynn did the synthesizer programming on this one. You've got a very, we can tell this is synthesizer music, but man, it's so good. And then we have another Picaro brother who comes in on this song. Mike Picaro plays the cello on this song. Okay. Yeah. He hadn't become a part of the band yet. Right. Well, as soon as David Hungate checked his headset against the wall, I can't take this anymore. I'm out of here. Right. They're like, well, I guess Mike Picaro is our new bass player. There you go. As we mentioned, Timothy B. Schmidt is doing backing vocals on this one as well. This is after the Eagles broke up. He wasn't doing anything. Right. <laughs> Waiting for hell to freeze over. Right? right, right. Which it did eventually. It did. In the 90s. In 94. Yeah. One of the things on this song, at the very end, there's like a great guitar outro. Yeah. It's, I don't know what it is about, there's like an unwritten rule in the band. They're like, okay, when you want to fiddle around and go for it, wait till the last 30 seconds as we're fading out. Okay, we done with this one? Yep, time to move on. Moving on to the last song on side one. It's called, It's a Feeling. Okay, the beginning of this song kind of makes me feel like a stage musical is about okay. to happen, right? Okay. And then once they get into it, it's got, I'm going to say, like an ELO kind of feeling about it. It's a more serious tone song. Yeah, and I mean, it's about a guy who's suspicious that somebody's fooling around on him, right? It's not my favorite. Okay, see, this one I get 
Miami Vice or moonlighting type of feel. Uh-huh. You know, Crockett walking around the, the city, he got tub shot, <laughs> he's feeling bad. <laughs> right. 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 Or he found his girlfriend cheating or something like that. Yeah. This one was sung and written by Steve Carl. Yeah. It's jazzy. I like it, but it's not my favorite on the album. Right. Okay. Moving on. Moving on. Hit stop on your tape player, kick it out, flip it over, side two of Toto 4 with a song called Afraid of Love. All right, we start off this one with a solid, crunchy guitar. I'm digging it. I don't like the lyrics. They're flat. It's just there's nothing there. And then the melody of the chorus. This is going to be a skip-skipper for me. No, you're way wrong on this one. I'm sorry. You're way wrong. This is so generic. The lyrics in this are so generic. I mean, I like the way you move and just the way you are. I can't take any more because, girl, you're pushing too hard. This is by Paige and Lukather. We got guys who wrote Kilimanjaro and Serengeti into their song, (laughs) and they're writing something that's like a kid in high school wrote. Okay. I did the music, but yeah. Allow me to rebut. Go ahead. This would have been the lead single if this song had been on Turn Back or Hydra. Yeah, it's because this album sucked. That's what I'm saying, though. <laughs> the reason why this song didn't get released as a single is because you had Africa and Rosanna and all, I Won't Hold You Back and all those other ones in front of it. Yeah. This could have been a hit single. This should have been on the American Anthem or Vision Quest soundtrack. This is a very 80s song. It sounds like Journey to me. I like it. Yeah. We're we're in disagreement on this one. Okay. All right. We done with this one? Yeah. All right. Ready? Yes. Okay. Groovy piano to start this baby off. Yeah, yeah. And then the verse is good. Yeah. You hit that chorus and I'm like, oh, winner. We have a winner here. This is fantastic chorus. I love the ooh, I dig it. I love this song. This was another surprise for me that I was like, oh, dang, this is good. I it's this. good. I think you can tell that they're trying to write hit songs because every song has kind of that punchy, upbeat feel to it. And this one is familiar. I can't tell where that chorus is familiar to me, but it's familiar. Whatever it is, count me in. I love it. Yeah. I love it. Great song. Great song. And, you know, again, maybe this one's also about Rosanna Arquette. (laughs) You wish you had her. It's possible. She'll make you cry. She'll make you high. (laughs) Okay, we're done with Lovers in the Night. Let's move on to the third song on side two. We made it. Okay, now this piano intro makes me think of the Muppets. Like I can imagine them walking down the streets <laughs> of Manhattan teeth. with this. But then it comes in with with what may be one of the best first lines in all of music what? writing history. Are you ready Whoa. for this? Okay. Bad time for love. You caught me on your birthday. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
<laughs> what? I could feel your heart break into a hundred pieces. So he is screwing around with another girl on, on his, his girl's, girl's birthday. birthday. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Set the stage. That is that's terrible. The good news is, though, we made it. Well, we can make it again. How about that? <laughs> I like this one. I love that uh, that Lukather guitar screech. Yeah, he's uh, he's working it. Yeah, he is. And this is this is not one that was a single. Nope. But it's uh, this is a good song. It's, it's a good song. All, all these songs are like infectious. Mm-hmm. They're toe tappers. Right. Well, and once again, they're trying to write hits. Yeah. And so we're working our way down the list, right? Yep. Well, I think that the the songs that they thought were probably not the best songs they're saving for the last, right? This is insane to me. Okay, so we got second to last song on the whole album called Waiting for Your Love. However, this song was actually released as a single. This was the fifth single released in June of 83. Um... I don't know who is in charge of that decision, but you're freaking fired. <laughs> okay, now I'm sure that there are a lot of people who love this song. It probably I mean, it's they catchy. Really, it's, it's 80s, you know. It's, it, it sounds like Michael Jackson off the wall, which these guys were completely involved with. I'm glad that you said that because, yeah. to, to my ear, it's totally "Baby Be Mine" from Thriller. Yeah, I mean, it, which I think I even described when we talked about. Baby Be Mine when we talked about Thriller I said I think this one belongs on Off the Wall this is not yeah. this is not a Thriller song this is an Off the Wall song and it's dancey and can we talk about the video? Let's talk about the video. I didn't even know that the video existed for this thing and all I can say is it's an 80's dance club you yes. got 80's hair you got 80's shoulder pads you got 80's dancing going on. It's like line dancing, yeah. And for some reason, uh, they thought it would be appropriate that the band be completely covered in their own sweat. <laughs> what is going on? These guys all look like they're coked out of their minds and like that it's 100 degrees inside of the well, club. Well, every woman in the dance club has no bra on. Well, I'm not complaining about that. <laughs> that is not a problem for me. But, I mean, Bobby Kimball up on stage, the guy is not a slim trim guy. He's got the porn stash from the 70s. He does. And he's sweaty in this. And he and every other member of the band are sweaty on this one. Uh, Jeff Picaro and Steve Picaro. They've got those huge, you know, child molester glasses on. You have got to watch this video if you have not seen this video. Oh my goodness. It it is a little bit of 80s joy and cringe (laughs) all at the same time. Hey, I gotta give a little bit of credit to Bobby Kimball because he really goes for it lyrically on this. This was his song, right? So Bobby Kimball wrote this song in the 70s. Okay. And it sounds like it kind of stayed in the 70s to me. Mm -hmm. But... I don't know. The video is so good. It it's so yeah. atrociously bad. It's marvelous. It is. You will you will enjoy your time watching this, reliving the moments that you're glad you don't have from the '80s anymore. A lot of really great stuff happened in the '80s, and this video represents not that stuff. <laughs> the stuff that was more appropriately left behind. All right, are we finally there? We could do an entire podcast series on the song that's about to come up. Are you ready, Shirley fans? <sighs> One of the best 
songs of the 1980s. One of the best songs of all time. Songs called Africa. The beat is unmistakable. It's incredible. So for this song, they had Sony come in and help program the keyboards that Steve Percaro is playing, right? Okay. So the marimbas that you hear are that Sony programmed keyboard marimba sound. Before they even get there, they say, we got to have this perfect beat. So they record an entire tape of just Jeff Vaccaro and Lenny Castro playing the drums over and over, same drum beat over and over and over and over and over and over. Right. And once they've done it for a full tape, whatever that might be, they take one measure. They listen to it all and they find the one measure that's perfect. And they put that on loop. That's the one right there. This one right here. This one right here. And now keep in mind, this is before computer recording. So when we say on loop, that means that they took the tape. They took that one measure, cut the tape out, then put it on the tape recorder, ran it around a mic stand, around a chair, around another mic stand, and onto the next part of the recorder so that the tape would just rotate in a circle. And that is the way that you have this perfectly synchronized, incredible drum sound for the entire song. Once they got that loop that they liked... David Page and Jeff Picaro laid down the drums and the pianos. One take. One take. But they build off of it. You know, they this is a pyramid it song. Is. It, it is. is. Starting with the drums, and then we're introducing the keyboards, and then we're introducing the vocals, and it just builds and builds and builds into this amazing collection of music. Hurry, boy, it's waiting there for you. Let's talk about how the song was conceived, right? Okay, sure. So David Page wrote this song about Africa. Yes. He'd never been to Africa. Never been there. Went years. Like, I don't think... It was like 21st century before he ultimately got to go to Africa. Right. And they're like, hey, this is such a wonderful song. When did you come to Africa? And he's like, actually, this is my first time. (laughs) How's everybody doing? Good to see you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, he went to a Catholic school and he had learned about missionaries. Yeah. And had a subscription in National Geographic. You guys can remember in the 80s when the UNICEF commercials would come on and they would tell you these children in Africa need your help, right? Well, he talked about how when he was a kid, those missionaries would come and talk to it at his school and they would talk about how they blessed everything, which I don't really understand. It may be a difference between a Catholic and Protestant thing, but they would bless food. They would bless experiences. And when it rained, they would bless the rain. And that's how you get that line. Oh. I bless the rain down in Africa. But man, it's a fantastic line. doesn't matter. It sounds so wonderful. Okay. So in addition to this concept of blessing things... One of the other things that the missionaries talked about was the difficulties. And obviously, difficulties of seeing people in these deprived conditions was a huge thing. But the other thing that was difficult for them was being alone and celibate out there. And so this song is about a guy who's waiting for a girl to arrive to meet her, right? Yeah. Her plane is coming in, right? And he's 12:30 flight. 12:30 flight. Ready to meet her. And so that's the that's the underlying story of the song. And he meets a man to get some more music and then the man is like 
it's waiting there for you. And then we jump into this course. And just before the chorus comes on, I gotta say this. We love this course and it seems simple, but listen to it this way, all right? The first line, I bless the grains down in Africa, is it's a very simple melody, right? When that second line comes in, you add a second harmony behind it, different notes, and you can hear it. You can hear the distinct notes that the two people are saying the same words, different notes, and then the third, we add yet a third layer of different notes, which are extremely complicated. You go from simple to complicated over these three lines, and the, the magic when you have that two-part harmony behind the very simple underlying chorus and melody is it's magical it's i mean magical hey listen david page said god gave this to him yeah we've talked about how there are some songs that are divinely inspired yeah i think jonathan kane on the journey frontiers albums has yes. faithfully he felt like that god gave that directly to him yes david page is the same way god inspired he says i'm talented but i'm not that talented god gave this to me now then keep in mind Particularly after hearing the song Waiting for Your Love, Steve Lukather said, this is the worst song in the album. Yeah. If this is a hit, I'll run naked down Hollywood Boulevard. So what they would say to each other whenever they didn't want a song on the album is they would say, maybe you should save this for your solo album. <laughs> that is exactly what they said to David Page about this song. Maybe you should save this for maybe. your solo album, David. Yeah. I cannot believe it. It's shocking. Talk about not knowing your own stuff. Now, Steve Piccaro didn't like this song either. Right. I saw an interview with him. He said David Page was really into it. Yep. And their agreement was, when you have a song, we're going 100% for you because when I bring a song, I want everybody in on mine. And so they said, that doesn't mean we didn't kill ourselves on this song, but nobody believed in it. Right. It's interesting. These guys do not bad talk each other. I've never, in all of the interviews that I've heard, I have never heard one of them say one bad thing about another member of the band. Even if they're not getting along and they're separated, it is those guys are amazing musicians. And whether it was my song and they didn't like it, they still brought 100%. And if it was their song and I didn't like it, I still brought 100%. We did our absolute best on every single song, like it or hate it. We're going to talk about Hungry Like the Wolf next week. Yeah. These are some of the best pop songs of the 80s. Right. At some point, we mentioned that they delayed touring and they went and worked on Thriller for this yes. before they started touring on this one. Right. At some point, when they come back, this is, this is kind of like the Run DMC story that we talked about with Walk This Way. They come back... And David Page gets a call, and they're like, man, they are playing the heck out of your song at all of these dance clubs. And he's thinking, Rosanna. He's thinking, Make Believe, you know, one of the... Right. And he's like, what song? And they're like, Africa. And he said, really? Yeah. He couldn't believe it. And then Africa gets released as a single, and it is their only number one hit. So it's the third single. It's released October of 1982. It's their first and only song to hit number one on the Hot 100. Let's talk about the video for a second. Okay. So the video is sort of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark-ish. He's looking through some books sure. in the library. He's wearing that pith hat. <laughs> I'm telling you, Raiders of the Lost Ark was impactful at this time because Hungry Like the Wolf, that video is definitely impacted by Raiders of the Lost sure, Ark. Sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and then they're all kind of miniaturized. They're on a stack of books. Yeah, they said that the stage was really weird. It was, the, yeah, they painted it all to look like they're standing on top of these books. And it looks like he's looking for a map or something in the library. He's got a torn paper and he's looking through the book. And it's like the biggest dog ear. 
Right. Not very mysterious. And then you get you've got this African American lady as the librarian, and then suddenly there's a spear being thrown. <laughs> I would say that this video would not pass muster in today's world. All right, I'm just I don't think it would. So you've got David Page singing, and then also he's singing the first part, and then of course Bobby Kimball comes in with the second part. And can we talk just a second about his freestyling at the end of the song? Yeah. Holy cow! It's amazing. I talked about that build that they have on the chorus and then when he throws in that freestyle let's listen to it now I'm stealing your info here. That's okay. Go because ahead. we talk. We talk, and yeah. this is... So I'm going to steal. You said that Bobby Kimball has an amazing voice, but just not all the time. Right. And so if you watch the live show, it's a little cringy. Yeah. You're like... A little hit and miss. You're missing. Yeah. You're missing here. Yeah. But when he would hit, it was so good. So these being studio musicians, they knew how to go, oh, do it again, do it again, do it again. Ah, there we go. That's take, the take one. that word. That's the one. that word. Yep, that's the one we need. And man, they wove it together in an amazing tapestry. And to bring it full circle, I love this. Yes. Joe Picaro, the guy who said to David Page, you need to meet my son, Jeff. Yes. He's playing the marimbas in the chorus. <laughs> That's fantastic. It is fantastic. So, this song was a huge hit. Number one. Surprise to everybody in the band. Yep. Lasts for a long time. And then, as all 80 songs do, it falls out of favor. Now, I can remember with absolute clarity, 2018, that's four years ago. Yep. I walk into the kitchen. See, my daughter's almost 19 now, so she's it would she would have been... 14 or 15 at the time. Okay. And she is rocking out to Africa. Now, I've given her a lot of good songs, right? You know, I I, I molded her musical education. Right. As I mentioned, she's a big Metallica fan, thanks to me. Bon Jovi fan, thanks to me. But I'd never played Africa for her. I'm not this huge Toto guy. So when I walk in the kitchen and she's jamming out to Africa, I'm like, where have you heard this song? And she's like, it's just around. It's awesome, Dad. I'm like, yeah, it is awesome, but... How do you know it? And then I find out somehow this song is becoming incredibly popular again. It's viral, yeah. And I, I, I have I looked at my old text from like 2017, 2018, and I'm talking to my brother about this. I'm like, how is it this song is becoming big again? It doesn't make any sense to me. And people try to say, well, it was the Weezer thing, but that was after. That was after. That the was song. in response to its popularity. Exactly. And I, as deep as I have dug, I cannot figure it out. Something happened. <laughs> I know it was Japan. I know it was China. I don't know what, what happened. But somehow this song hit that tipping point again in the last five years. And suddenly it was everywhere again. I guess I don't get it. And so there was a 14-year-old girl who developed the Twitter handle at Weezer Africa. Yes, I love this story. And her sole mission was to get the band Weezer to cover the song Africa. Right. And so she gets so much exposure, she becomes viral with this thing, that Weezer, to troll her, records a version of Rosanna. (laughs) I know, this is hilarious. And then you're like, oh, we got the wrong song. I'm so, so close sorry. and yet oh, so man. far. And Rosanna ends up doing very well for them. Uh-huh. And so finally they're like, well, crap, maybe we should record 
And sure enough, it becomes their biggest hit in like <laughs> 10 years or something like that. They hadn't had a hit since the early 2000s, and suddenly their version of Africa is hitting the charts. You know who plays the lead singer in the video? Our best friend, Mr. Weird Al Yankee. <laughs> Such a fantastic video. So they take the Weezer concept, that blue back screen. Was it the sweater song? I think it was the sweater song. Okay. And so they do, they recreate that exact play of the video, except that it's Weird Al doing the lead singing in the song. Uh, it's it's great. Hey, there is some sort of sound installation device in the Namib. <laughs> Namib? I, like David Page, have never been to Africa. So the Namib, Namib Desert. Yes. That plays Africa on loop infinitum. Just again and again and again. And it's solar powered. It's Out there in the middle of the desert, there's playing the Africa by Toto. Who did this? I don't know. Oh, my God. The missionaries, apparently. So, <laughs> so all of humanity is going to cease to exist, and the recording of Africa will live forever. Yes. That's yes. Great. The aliens, when they come, will be like, well, I don't know about the, the, civilization, the civilization, but they knew what was good music. <laughs> Once again, Steve Lukather thought it was the worst song on the album. But he did not dance down Hollywood Boulevard naked. Steve Lukather, the ball is in your court. We expect you <laughs> naked down Hollywood Boulevard. It's been a huge hit twice in like two different centuries. It's incredible. <laughs> it's incredible. One of the best songs of the 80s, Spike in the Football. It's one of the best. Absolutely. Okay, so that does it for the album. we got to talk about a few things that happen after. Yes. So this whole time, Bobby Kimball has been afraid of these drug charges that are against him. Ultimately, case gets dismissed. <laughs> he was about to go to trial. The defense had filed a motion to dismiss because what they believed happened was that he didn't get read his Miranda rights. Yeah. And so the judge believed it. And without even the judge making a decision, the prosecution voluntarily dismissed the case. He was never convicted of drug trafficking. So Bobby Kimball's off the drug charges. However, yep. he's not off the cocaine. No. In and fact, he started to smoke it. Yes. That's freebasing. Yes. And so it destroyed his voice. It's tragic. So they had to fire him after their biggest album ever. Yeah. Ultimately, he rejoins the band about 20 years later, and that lasts for another 10 years, I think, after that. I guess he'd quit hitting a crack pipe. Yeah, that's good. I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. They did have a couple other hits in the 80s. One of them is called I'll Be Over You. Big hit in 86. Okay, real quick, I'm going to tell you a story. Yeah. So we mentioned that they are huge musicians on the Thriller album, right? Mm-hmm. And you know that Human Nature was a big song on that album, right? Absolutely, huge hit. Huge hit. Human Nature was written by Steve Picard. So here's what happened. Wow. They're already working on the album, right? And Quincy Jones is looking for music. And so he says, hey, David, I need you to get me a song. So David says to Steve, who kind of like almost working for him at this point. He's like, hey, I need you to record this song onto a tape for me. And the tapes are short. They're like, you know, one song on each side. Okay, I need you to record this for me and send it over to Quincy. So Steve takes this tape that he had. They had one of his own songs on. Okay. It was a song that he had wrote spur of the moment after he had this conversation with his daughter. Heather Picara, who goes on to be a, a musician herself. She's a little kid, 
some kid, some boy hits her and she doesn't know why and she comes home and he's trying to explain to her that the boy probably likes you, this is just human nature, this is the way they behave, and then he realizes, hey, that's kind of a good human nature, that's kind of a good song. Runs over the keyboard, records the why, 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 the human nature, the melody, and the chords of the song onto this tape, okay? Yep. Then a little later, David calls and says, hey, I need you to put my song on a tape and send it over to Quincy. Well, the tape, that, the only tape that he's got with him at the t- moment is the tape that he's got human nature on. Okay. Wow. So he records it on the other side of that, sends it to Quincy Jones. Quincy Jones is listening to David Page's song, but lets it keep on playing, and it's got the automatic flip over on the tape, and so... Quincy hears human nature and he calls up David and he's David said it took me 30 minutes to figure out he's not talking about <laughs> he's like you know tell me about human nature this is great he's like what are you what yeah and so he didn't want David's song he picked Steve's song and Steve's like I don't even mean for this to happen wow it becomes Michael Jackson's human nature Lugather said he made a small fortune off of that one song yeah well deserved All right, real quickly. So just touching on one more thing. Toto goes off into the sunset. Interestingly enough, they were tabbed to do Danger Zone for the Top Gun soundtrack. Right. They had actually been asked to to participate in Footloose. They sent some songs in. They weren't selected. The Footloose soundtrack goes on to be a huge smash album. Go back where we covered that track by track. So they were intent on being included in Top Gun. So they came in. They said, hey, we want you to do Danger Zone. And so they rearranged it. They made it better. And the guy said, okay, we really like the lyrics. We really like the arrangement. We really like the singing. But we're going to bring in some studio musicians to replace you guys. And they're like, what? What are you talking about? We're the best there is. And so they pulled it and they said, nope, we're out. Otherwise, we would have Toto instead of Kenny Loggins on Top Gun. Wow. That's awesome. We're going to cover Top Gun here in about a month. Yeah. Okay. A couple more things. Okay. The Beatles were a huge influence on all of these guys, right? Right. So Steve tells a story of the time that he got to meet Paul McCartney. Yes. It's when they're recording Thriller. And of course, Paul McCartney, The Girl Is Mine, with Michael Jackson, which you don't care for. The doggone girl is mine. (laughs) So they're there, and he's got his whole entourage, and it's this big production while they're doing their recording or whatever. And Steve says what happens. He's not even recording with them at this point. Jeff is the one drumming, and and Steve and David. They're the ones involved, not Steve. Steve Lukather and David Page are the ones, not Steve Picaro. Right. But Steve Picaro is there. When this happens, he gets to see him, and then he leaves with his entourage. They're taking down their equipment, and suddenly Paul McCartney walks back in by himself. Like he snuck away from the the paparazzi or what have you, and he's like, I just wanted to come back and talk to you guys for a little while. And so he just sat down and hung with the band for like 10 minutes. And so Steve is just, you know, staring in awe at his idol just sitting across the couch from him. That is awesome. Yeah, it's great. Okay, so we know that Bobby Kimball lost his position with the band because of some cocaine use. And we know from our research that all of these guys were pretty heavily into cocaine. And even if you didn't know, if you go back and watch any of those videos, <laughs> there is no question that these guys were high. Listen, 
<laughs> it was the 80s. It was the early 80s. And everybody was rolling around in the white powder. It was it was a thing. Yeah, yes. It was a thing to do. But, interestingly, later on, Jeff Picaro passes away under kind of unusual circumstances. And what the medical examiner says is that it is caused by his cocaine use. He was fertilizing his lawn at the time, uh-huh. Steve Lukather said there's no way it was cocaine use. Said it had to be that pesticide. Yeah, he said that the amount that they found was like so ridiculously small that there's no way a guy who had done as many drugs as he did in the 80s would suddenly, that that would cause him to have a heart attack and die. Yeah. Lukather thinks he probably smoked either a cigarette or a J while he had the pesticide on his hands, therefore sucking it into his lungs and causing the death. I don't know if it's Dr. Lukather or not, but... (laughs) can also say that there are medical examiners out there who've saw the spotlight for things too so he was a heavy smoker yeah he was a cocaine user yeah and he was squirting his lawn with poison yes sadly we lost jeff Picaro, one of the best drummers of all time at age 38 of course this was a shock to everybody there was a memorial concert that took place at the universal amphitheater on december 14th 92 that just right after he died had george harrison boz gags donald fagan don henley michael mcdonald david crosby and eddie van halen and the members of toto singing a memorial concert a lot of those guys we've talked about through these this two-parter on toto yeah and Richard Marks, you know, we mentioned that Steve Lukather played the outro off of uh, Lionel Richie's album, and Richard Marks was one of the guys who sang backup for Lionel Richie back before he was a big man. Well, he dedicated the song One Man to Jeff and said Picaro was the best drummer he had ever worked with. Michael Jackson made a dedication to Picaro in the liner notes of History from 95. Um, He was just a very well-loved and very well-respected guy. You know what just hit me? Yeah. You mentioning that story. The guys in Toto played on Richard Mark's debut album, has all those huge hits, you know, Don't Mean Nothing, Endless Summer Nights, Hold On to the Nights, just a huge album. Yeah. Toto played all over that. Richard Marks married Cynthia Rhodes, the star of the Rosanna video. Oh, that's right. The wow. song Right Here Waiting wow. was written was written about her. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. So Jeff Picaro's tombstone inscribed with lyrics from a song on Kingdom of Desire. Our love doesn't end here. It lives forever on the wings of time. Okay, everybody, that does it for this episode. We are comparing two mammoth albums from 1982, Toto's Four, which we just covered. And coming up next, we have... Duran Duran's Rio album. (laughs) Huge album, packed with hits. Her name is Rio, and she dances in the sand. That's awesome, man. I can't wait to dive into that one. It's going to be so much fun. Duran Duran, a huge, powerful force on the wings of MTV early 82. If you were listening to music in 82 and 83, these songs were in your ears every single week. And on your TV. Yeah. Come back here next week where we dive into the history of Duran Duran, followed by Rio, track by track. And we'll have a special guest for that episode. Yeah, Melissa Mingle. She's a good friend of ours, friend of the show, big Duran Duran fan. Super fan, if you will. If she had not married her husband, Mark, Simon LeBon, it was next in line, I think. That's awesome. Okay, before we head out, we need to do our Shirley Showcase. 
this um, time. We have a special fan of ours from Facebook uh, who has interacted with us a bunch. He is weighing in on this matchup of Toto 4 versus Duran Duran Rio. Let's hear what he has to say. This is our buddy James Stiegel. Friend of the show, friend on Facebook. Hey, how you doing? This is James calling. Thanks for sending me a message to chime in with some thoughts on Total 4 versus Rio. Just wanted to say, um, between album and album, those both came out, you know, when I was in 10 years, 11 years old, fifth grade back in 82. Between each one of them, they're both classics. They're both 80s classics. Both packed with some hits. You know, Total 4 has that album of the year distinction, which, you know, some people say make it, may make it better. But at the same time, Duran Duran and Rio, that whole MTV thing with the early 80s and New Wave, New Romantic think that also carries it over too as well you know as with total four you got rosanna and africa and you know two other top 40 hits hungry like the wolf plus rio the title track other songs plus the mvp of that whole album uh save a prayer which is pretty much a lot of duran fans personal favorite so if i had to really pick and choose between the two it's a tough choice but I guess the early 80s MTV fanatic with me and all those albums combined, I probably would just go ahead and go pick the Duran Duran first and play it. Then, of course, I'd play Total 4 next after it. Two obviously fine choices. Other than that, it's great to be asked about some opinions about two good albums. Uh, love the podcast, love the show, love the page and everything, and love contributing. Other than that, talk at you later. Bless one. All right, James, thanks, man. That's great. Yeah, solid opinion. I can't fault you. I mean, it is. It's hard to pick between these two, and certainly one is probably going to be slipping into the CD player right after the other one in my rotation as well. That's right. We're going to cover Duran Duran next week. Obviously, that's his favorite, but he likes Toto 4 as well. Yeah. Can't fault him. Yeah, and I think next week uh, we're going to have a Shirley Showcase with our old friend Def Dave, who's going to give his opinion on these two albums. We can't wait to hear what he has to say. Yeah, and then tune in for the very end where we give you our final judgment as to which of these two amazing albums holds the top spot. See you back here next week. 